you can have a protest asking the powers that be to dig you a well. But direct action is, is digging that well and daring the powers that be to stop you. We're not asking the UK government to kick Elbit out of the country. We are stopping Elbit ourselves and daring the UK government to stop us. And I'll never forget the feeling of being hit in the back of the head for a t-shirt that says boycott Israel. Boycott, right? The most innocuous thing in the world. Even the language of the nonviolent will be treated with violence. So you might as well say exactly what you mean. Israel's a garbage country that's only loved by garbage people. It was founded on ethnic cleansing, apartheid and settler colonialism, and its flag is a symbol of white supremacy. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gazan Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram, and you can call me Mikey Intifada if you started your own university in the only safe haven for Jews, Austin, Texas. Okay. Oh my God, wait, this is hilarious. Barry Weiss, no accreditation, no degree university, triggers mass amusement. Before we get into today's episode, like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. And if you're listening on a podcast app, please subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at the palestinepod. We're also going strong on Patreon, so if you love the Palestine Pod and you want to support this project, join our Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes, an additional one to two podcasts per week, including our latest creation that we call the Patreon Pod. It's a little more laid back. We talk politics, Palestine, pop culture, and get a little more personal with our Patreons. And we're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours for Patreon subscribers only, so really exciting stuff. Feel free to check us out on patreon.com slash palestinepod. Today's guest is a personal friend of mine and an activist involved with the direct action efforts led by Palestine Action to get Elbit Systems out of the UK. Max, welcome to the Palestine Pod. Great to be here. So Palestine Action has been killing it in the direct action space, going after companies like Elbit Systems and JCB, who supplies bulldozers to demolish Palestinian homes. But of course, the largest campaign has been the Elbit campaign. And for those who don't know, Elbit Systems is Israel's largest privately owned arms company, which is profiting from Israel's attacks on Palestinians. Its biggest single customer is the Israeli Ministry of Defense. Elbit has 10 different sites across the UK, including four arms factories. So what do they do exactly? Well, Elbit provides the Israeli military with around 85% of its killer drones. These drones have been used in numerous military assaults against the people of Gaza, including the latest assaults that took place in May. The Israeli army also uses these drones in daily surveillance and regular attacks on Palestinians all across occupied Palestine. 
The company's profits skyrocketed after its equipment was used in the brutal 2014 assault on Gaza. And this helped the country seal contracts with militaries all over the world. In addition, the bullets being shot by Israeli snipers are also made by Elbit. Elbit produces munitions and components for all Israeli attack aircraft. So this includes the Israeli F-15 fighter jets and Apache and Cobra attack helicopters. They are all furnished with Elbit equipment. Those, of course, have been repeatedly used to attack civilian areas, homes and refugee camps, resulting in thousands murdered not only in Palestine, but also in Lebanon and other countries as well. And Elbit is also one of the main providers of the electronic detection system for the West Bank apartheid wall that Israel has built. It was also contracted recently to make a new underground wall around the blockaded Gaza Strip. So it's not enough for Israel to be blockading Gaza from land, air, and sea. Now they're going underground to entrench their illegal siege even further. Elbit also sells about 80% of its equipment outside Israel. So not only are they the main suppliers to Israel, but they're also supplying their really heinous equipment, murderous equipment all over the world to various countries. So Max, with that as a, as a bit of an introduction, why don't you... Yeah, I mean, isn't that outrageous, you guys? Isn't yeah. that like the worst thing you've ever heard? There's yes. a company profiting from mass death these are and and in the uk where i live there are between seven and 12 active weapons factories building machines for the israeli army and palestine action the organization i'm I, i'm a part of in the last year has taken over 70 actions against elbit systems conservative estimates are that we have cost this company 15 million pounds, just based on what their British profits were in one year and, and what our actions have cost them in terms of work days. We are hell bent on stopping production at these factories. And we do so by taking direct action. I think maybe the first thing to do is is start with a very brief overview of what direct action is. Yeah. So you can have a protest or a rally asking the powers that be to dig you a well. But what direct action is, is digging that well and daring the powers that be to stop you. We're not asking the UK government to kick Elbit out of the country. We are stopping Elbit ourselves and daring the UK government to stop us. And so far, those 70 actions we've undertaken have produced hundreds of arrests. The British government, the powers that be, are in fact trying to stop us. We are facing serious state repression because we are taking on state power. We are taking on, when you take on Israel's weapons trade, you're taking on British foreign policy. Elbit weapons are sold to repressive governments all over Africa, South America. This is, if, if Zionism is the central logic of US imperialism, then the weapons trade is the juiciest target we have in the fight against imperialism, I believe. Whether it's Sri Lanka, Colombia, 
the U.S.-Mexico border, Gaza, Kashmir. Elbit Systems is there generating, you know, more profits for itself and blood on the ground. It's hard to sort of overstate the case against Elbit, but the effectiveness of direct action, I, I think, is really beautiful. And I'm, I'm excited to talk more about it. I think, you know, one thing that I really want to say is like, I've done all sorts of BDS organizing in the last 12 years. I did a municipal BDS campaign in, in New Orleans where we passed a resolution to divest state uh, the city's contract from any company that benefits from occupation. I've done hummus. Uh, I, I've tried to de-shell hummus. I've tried to divest pension funds. And none of it has felt as good as this. This one resulted in my like direct loss of freedom. I got arrested by British police, and I like after locking myself to a entrance of a weapons factory in the driving rain for you know the better part of a day, starting at four o'clock in the morning. But that was still one of the best days of my life and one of the best organized experiences I've ever had because no weapons were made that day. British law is such that if you can get people on the roof, workers can't enter a factory. If you can block an entrance and prevent workers from entering or trucks from leaving, regular old police can't remove you. They have to get a specialized unit, and there's only a few of them in the country. Legal loopholes that don't exist in the U.S. or don't exist in France, Palestine Action is really using. I mean, it's not like it's no fun to get arrested, but it's a lot makes it a lot easier knowing that you fully shut down production for a day or more, depending on the availability of the protest removal units at the police department. So, I, I mean, like this is very effective, and there's also precedent for long-term success. Maybe someone can ask me. <laughs> Max, is there any precedent for long-term success in this kind of thing? Hey, Max, is there any precedent for long-term success in this area? Well, in the UK, about 15 years ago, there was a group that came to be known as, I think, like the Raytheon 7. Raytheon, which makes uh, Iron Dome, one of the worst weapons traders in the world, you know, gallons and gallons and gallons of blood on their hands. Direct action kicked them out of the UK. They're no longer in the UK because activists continued to get arrested. They they showed up over and over and over again, the same group of people. It became a movement. It wasn't one-offs, right? It was a movement. Eventually, their trials came up and their defense lawyers demanded discovery. And I, like, I don't... I'm not a lawyer, so maybe Lara can explain what discovery is. But uh, when it came time to the the Raytheon's lawyers tried to prevent any discovery from what Raytheon was actually up to in the factories, and when the judges ruled against them and said that the defense lawyers could have discovery, Raytheon not only dropped all the charges, they quit the country. They shuttered the factory 
and they left. And that's what we're trying to do. Of the at least 130 different people who have been arrested uh, doing Palestine action work, not a single one has had their charges be brought to trial. Elbit is scared to have a trial. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but we're, it's part of our strategy, our, our long-term strategy to actually get into the docket and get put on trial. Because Elbit will have to produce discovery and we'll get to see where their weapons exports are really going. And, and what so laws they're breaking, the right? Of that. And, and what laws they're breaking, because exactly. it's very, it's very likely that a lot of the contracts and the arrangements for for the weapons sales are in violation of the UK's obligations under international law, at the very least, not to mention possibly its own national law. And, Correct. you know, exactly so, right. so, so, yeah. And, and, and the discovery process would actually allow that to come to light. The discovery process in any legal proceeding, it's a pretrial procedure whereby a party can ask the other party opposing it for evidence that pertains to the issue at hand. So if one of these cases were to ever go to trial, one of the Palestine action protesters would be asking Elbit to produce evidence of all of the weapons that it is making, where they are selling them, you know, who they're selling them to, how much they're selling them for, in which context they're being used. What, what is the applicable legislative framework that applies to the sale of these weapons? It, what, you know, is compliance taking place or not? I mean, these are all questions that are very relevant to its ability to continue profiting from mass death and, and certainly, if something shady is happening, which, you know, how could it not be, then they're, they're going to want to do everything they can to avoid any sort of a, a trial situation. Yeah, if everything was above board, they probably wouldn't have left the country. Exactly. The commitment of Palestine Action to, we're, we're singularly focused on Elbit. It's yeah. our one target. There are multiple factories and we target them all. but this singular focus is really the clear message that everyone understands. I mean, I can't say it any better than Lara's introduction. The case against Elbit is really strong. And the level of BDS victory this would be is truly, without exaggeration, unprecedented. It would be by far the biggest BDS victory in the history of the movement. And Prior to joining Palestine Action, I was organizer with the International Jewish Anti-Zionist Network. And we produced, as part of uh, some of that work, a pamphlet called Israel's Role in Worldwide Repression. You know, just sort of like, it's not just Palestinians that are being oppressed by Israel. It's not just the Palestinian movement for self-determination that's being repressed by Israel. Movements for self-determination all over Latin America and Africa, movements to have resources controlled by the people who live off of the land are being repressed by Israel right now all over the world. And it's being repressed with Elbit systems, with Elbit drones. Elbit drones are flying over Nigerian oil activists now. And Elbit drones are flying over the Colombian Venezuela border right now. Elbit surveillance systems are at the U.S.-Mexico border, and not to mention at prison walls all across the country. When we talk about U.S. empire, it's not just an abstract thing, right? Yeah. These things are being done with weapons. 
and these weapons are being made at a specific place. And one of those like specific places is the UK, and we are committed to ending that. And I, I think we're going to do it. And I, I say that because unlike any other BDS project I've ever been a part of, we fully are sort of leaning in to the consequences. Like, I remember thinking when I was at university or, you know, when I was trying to do the municipal campaign, like, if I just use the correct language, if I just say this the right way, the Zionists won't be able to say anything and there won't be any blowback. There won't be any repression. I won't face any personal consequences or social consequences for advocating against Zionism. Mm -hmm. And that's always been not true. No matter what, if any compromise you make on language will blow up in your face, because not only will the Zionists still push back just as hard, you will have already begun the process of compromising. Yeah, you've conceded Um, already. And and you can, and you know what, that's a, you can, you can, you can just look back on the history of the Palestinian liberation struggle from, you know, the 60s and the 70s to the decline of the PLO and everything that happened during the Oslo years, the beginning of the end was the moment that we started, at least in terms of the leadership, to compromise or to concede or to accept certain concessions that were never acceptable to us before in the aims of, oh, well, maybe if we do this, then they will do this. And they never, ever, ever conceded on their side. And so that's how you end up going from we're Palestine to, oh, they took 78% of our land to, to, oh, now they're building settlements in the 22% that they've occupied and they're just growing and growing and growing. So now we're just in these enclaves and you just see it getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Meanwhile, the only thing we haven't benefited at all from that type of a strategy. So you're absolutely right on that. You have to be very unequivocal and very clear about what is happening about the language and don't, don't tone yourself down in an effort to accommodate your oppressor. Right. And I think this goes the same for the BDS movement. It's going to cost you. It might not get you arrested, but it's going to cost you. It's done anything that's done in a way that actually threatens power. And that's what we need BDS to do is is disrupt hegemony, disrupt what's happening right now. If done successfully, it's going to cost you. So you might as well do something that's going to be public and amazing. Shutting down these weapons factories would be both of those things. In the U.S., BDS activists aren't getting arrested, but liberal Zionist groups are. And I think that's a really big problem. And I would love to hear Michael's opinion on this, but like, if not now, does not support BDS, but they're out here getting arrested at APAC and they're getting arrested at Friends of the IDF benefit dinners. But where are the anti-Zionist groups who are doing this? And I mean, if not now, isn't even doing it repeatedly. They do these one-offs, these these big sort of public one-offs, or they did before the pandemic, and they got a lot of publicity. And I think it's great to get arrested at APEC, don't get me wrong, but you have to keep showing up. Lunch counters in the South, sit-ins didn't happen one time, right? Those people came every week, and they got arrested every week. And after a while more people started showing up and like they started showing up every day and then they had a movement 
and movements are what actually threaten power. And I just think that like the BDS movement in the States, at least while I like, we spend a lot of time thinking about how we can be more palatable instead of sort of taking lessons from successful movements in the past and just showing up over and over again and embracing the consequences. I think Jewish Voice for Peace, which I am a dues-paying member of, should look to groups like Palestine Action. And I think there are other ones in the States doing sort of direct action. I think Block the Boat is a great example. You can't let liberal Zionist groups like If Not Now have the moral high ground of getting arrested. It has to be getting arrested in support of BDS, which the weapons trade, you know, like more than diamonds, more than anything else that Israel exports. I think diamonds is the number two thing, but weapons is the number one export. So Elbit is a great BDS target, but also it's a target of U.S. imperialism in general. And we're doing sort of like recognizable like like a blueprint from movements of the past. And we're sort of daring the state to stop us. We're daring Elbit to bring us to trial to show us discovery. We're digging that well. And I I, I think it's going to work. I mean, like each action is getting more and more difficult. You know, like like when we first started, these uh, we, we had success every time, but now we're sort of being thwarted by a combination of things like, you know, like people get scared because they don't want to have their doors kicked in. Police have been raiding the residences of the Yeah, activists. it's happened a few times. I mean, we take <laughs> precautions now before every action because after a few of them, cops have come to um, activist houses. But, you know, it's, it's not enough to stop us. Have the police used any violence against the Palestine Action organizers? I mean, again, like the amount of... When I was arrested at my action, like I was given a cup of tea and a bowl of ramen. British jails are fucking crazy. Like they, they first of all, they take the presumption of innocence real seriously. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry we have to detain you. They apologize for detaining me after I was arrested, chained to uh, the, the entrance of a weapons factory for hours. They're like, We're, we assume you're innocent. We just, you know, we have to detain you. But if you'd like, we have tea, we have a full, just like press the button, we'll come, you know, 24 hours a day. And I was like, no way. But it was late and I tried and they're like, yeah, absolutely. And then they apologize for knocking on the door. They're like, sorry, I just me with the tea. American prisoners are listening to this right now. Fucking losing it. When I was arrested in Baton Rouge, there was like, I had a concussion. And I had to get a CAT scan while wearing handcuffs. And I had to put the handcuffs over my head because the, like, the, the machine, you know, it was like, it was literally insane. And like when I got to jail, like the, if, if there was too much back talk, the sheriff deputies would spray the floor with, with pepper spray. And I got a cup of tea whenever I wanted in British jail. Like, you press a button and they bring you what you ask for. It's why I don't, I don't even know what to tell you guys. Like there uh, are some hotels that don't even have that. But I mean, also like, 
I, I, I don't mean to say, like, like, we are threatening British foreign policy here. It's not, it's not just Israel, right? It's, it's Western empire. Britain loves having Israel make its weapons and field testing them on Palestinians. In fact, that's what, how Elbit markets itself is weapons field tested on Palestinians in the UK. They have weapons fairs here where they're welcomed into the country and they're, they, they sell these weapons to repressive regimes all over the world and they market them as field tested on Palestinians. So the idea that like, like the cops are somehow like treating us as just like nuisances isn't true. We are like a, we're threatening we're a threat to like the way Britain does business overseas, and we want to be. Few of our organizers have been charged with blackmail, which is a very okay. serious charge. It carries seven years jail here, which you know, sounds way, delightful, way more actually. Than anything I'm facing with what I did when I locked on to the the entrance. Some people are facing serious time, and it stems. It's like complete nonsense. These charges stem from threatening the landlords that that Elbit rents space from in London with a hunger strike if they didn't evict them. And that constitutes a blackmail charge or police are trying to make this blackmail charge stick. But no one really, it's not stopping us. Fictitious blackmail charges and steep prison sentences have not dampened any of our attempts. Since we celebrated one year, Palestine Action has done an action, an average once a week, every week since our one year anniversary, since that, that, that 70 number figure I, I provided. In spite of this sort of state repression, we're still going strong. The, the people that are going up on these roofs and like repeatedly jeopardizing their freedom and their like, you know, again, the social cost of being a public BDS activist and arrested BDS activist is really inspiring to me. I really think they're like the bravest BDS organizers on the planet right now. And it's really an honor to be a part of it. To keep showing up like this, it it, it makes me feel the way I, I, you know, I imagine SDS felt in the early 60s. And to keep coming back, even as the repression gets ramped up and even after, you know, like they're starting to hire more and more security guards and the security guards are getting more and more rough with us, which is just a new component of this growing dynamic movement against Elbit in the UK. Has Elbit tried to say anything to you? They have no comment, like in stories, but every once in a while they try and make a, a few PR statements. But you, uh, But I mean, like when you're on the ground, when you're literally preventing people from going to work. No, they don't engage. no, they don't engage. Um, what would they say? Yet. I don't know. <laughs> That's why I asked. <laughs> hey, hey, I see you chained to our entrance here. Would you like a cup of tea? You know, like, what is it? Yeah, or let us make these drones, please. I mean, what? Yeah, hey, we're, tr- we're trying to get in here and kill children, okay? Can you get out the way? But I was going to weigh in on what you said about, like, Jewish organizations and stuff. Please do. So what I was thinking throughout most of this conversation is just that Zionists and like American liberal Zionists or whatever, however you want to classify them, have 
underwent a very successful sanitization campaign of activism, of merchandise, of pretty much anything. You know what I mean? Anything that touches the people's consciousness, they have sanitized it, defanged it in a way that there is not really a radical Jewish anti-Zionist organization that exists in the United States, right? Like Jewish Voice for Peace is good, I guess, on Instagram. They do some good work when it comes to BDS, right? But they only actually embraced anti-Zionism like a few years ago, right? So it's not like they are OGs in this game, right? They are relatively new. And it's such a large organization that it's likely already been infiltrated in a way that makes any real direct action possible in the way that Palestine action is taking, right? There are instances where activist groups have stopped Israeli ships from unloading, like the Israeli Zim-operated cargo ship, which was carrying a mixture of products from Asia, right? They stopped that in 2021 of this year and also 2014. So it is a repeat effort where activist groups are showing up, but that's not a Jewish-led organization, right? It was the Arab Resource and Organizing Center that was largely behind that action. So if you are an anti-Zionist Jew, my advice to you is join a existing Palestinian-led action group, right? Like Palestine Action, center Palestinians in this work, and then you'll find yourself of use, right? Like, or if you want to lead the charge, start a radical anti-Zionist organization that is dedicated to the continued direct action that needs to be done, right? Get arrested right and cause trouble back. yeah and then and then continue showing up right i think that's a great point i mean like look i think there's a lot of like awkward to put it lightly dynamics with jvp i mean not yeah. og anti-zionist but they are anti-zionist now and it's great and it's really good like i'm glad that that happened it really you know makes my life like it's like one less contradiction right but they are also what does it mean to have the biggest BDS group in the country, the biggest, the, the, uh, the BDS organization that has the most members be a Jewish one? I mean, that's a really interesting question, right? And one that has many good answers. But I think one of the good answers should be they should be leading the charge, right, in, get, in taking arrest and making BDS unignorable. What's unignorable? Yeah. Jews getting arrested. So why is it, if not now, yeah. who is explicitly anti-BDS, the only Jewish group I see getting arrested at pro-Israel functions? I mean, that's like a bad... I, the I mean, optics I are terrible. Especially if, if not now, is a Zionist project, a liberal Zionist project to provide an alternative to BDS, to let everyone know that you can be critical of Israel. You just don't have to participate in this Palestinian-led movement. Instead, join this other thing called If Not Now, which is Jewish-led and doesn't support. The, I mean, like, that's the worst, most cynical read on it, but it is the one I honestly confess to having. But it doesn't really, like, that doesn't really mean anything if they're the only ones in the country getting arrested. And I think this goes beyond, and I'm yeah. really glad that you didn't use this framework, Michael. But, like, this isn't about using our privilege as Jews, right? We are definitely way more privileged than our Palestinian 
brethren, right? But like, what's yeah. more important to understand is that if you continue to get arrested, you will become just as big a target. If you continue to be a threat to U.S. empire or in this yeah. country, U.K. empire, you will become, you will put that target on your back. That's that like as a white person, right? That target 100%. that um, you only hear about because you will be have like six, you will graduate from being allied to co-conspirator. Um, and that's what I think is yeah. real. Like that, that's what I think 2022 calls for. It's beyond allies. I could not agree with you more. As Jews, right? It goes it, like w to say one more thing about this as Jews, there's safety in that. Like there's no safety in like liberal things like the first amendment. Well, no one's going to protect you for saying, I have the right to say whatever I want to say. And I say boycott Israel. Like they will isolate and ostracize you. But if there is safety in being part of a broad based coalition of anti-racist groups who are like marching in support of Palestine and not just marching, but showing up for Palestine in all the ways that's required right now, they're like Jews will be protected by those people and they won't fuck with us when we're, you know, when there's like, cause that's real power. A lot of us have lawyers. <laughs> Definitely. There's and no I reason. There's no reason. And it's important. It's a thing that's not happening in this state. Challenge your listeners to ask why, because even JVP chapters on their own could start this thing. And like, yeah. you know, like, I, I think one answer is because U.S. law is way more repressive, right? If yeah. activists yeah. in the U.S. got on top of a weapons factory, it's sort of like way easier to imagine police just fire hosing them directly into a paddy wagon off the roof than it is. And all of the charges sticking, like the blackmail charges, the terrorism right. charge, all of that would stick. I mean, we've seen it stick. We've seen Razmia O'Day deported. We've seen the Holy Land Five incarcerated. Um, we've seen the Midwest 13 have their doors kicked in, right? Like, And so I think, I think that actually answers your question as to why you're not seeing as many Jews get involved. There aren't, first of all, there aren't a ton of radical Jews who are truly committed to Palestinian liberation. I think that's like something that we should honestly acknowledge. There are a lot of Jews who are sort of like, ooh, this looks bad for Judaism or like, Ooh, like, you know what I mean? Like they don't actually care in the way that they ought to. And it also is, you know, there are real consequences. People are scared, especially in the Jewish community about like, you know, whether they'll be excommunicated from their congregation, whether they will be face social repression from their institutions, whether they will, you know, get the job that they've always been bred for basically so it's like a lot of them are not willing to give that up and you know i'm in a lucky position where it's like i do stand-up comedy you're not going to intimidate me with like the threat of losing stuff you know i made like zero dollars during the pandemic i'm good <laughs> sorry <laughs> and i think it's yeah it's just so endearing to listen to both of you talk i'm enjoying it so much <laughs> I like I'm, I mean, it's the subject is so heavy, and it's it, there's it's so real, and there's so many. But like, it's you guys are to me the biggest source of inspiration in, in all of this because you exist. So more people I like you can say, exist. I mean, Michael, I would say to any of your listeners who are 
anti-Zionist Jews but quiet about it or who are like worried about being excommunicated or worried about not being welcome in their institutions like stop that stop war like those yeah. institutions are rotten to their core like in the yeah. same way that there are white southern baptist churches in the south that exist existed purely to in the furtherance of institutionalized white supremacy in the south from the times of slavery through reconstruction like those if you are a committed anti-racist like those institutions were not for you jewish yeah. institutions in this country that like that are constitutively zionist are rotten to their core they cannot be reformed so don't try they can they need to be defeated and that's what you should devote your energy to the more we just sort of abandon these spaces the sooner we can start creating our own and i say this like as someone who's like i like 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 uh thinks of themselves as like a marxist leninist like it's i'm not interested in in seizing power of Jewish institutions. We need to just make our own spaces. There's no way for the Anti-Defamation League to stop being racist. It just needs to be right. defeated. No you can't reform you. the Klan. And right, like this include this goes to your temples. Like if your temple yeah. is hosting Zionists, stop going to your temple. Yeah. You can start creating your own space. The time for trying to like quietly reform. You sound like a Republican in the Trump era. It's over. And I'll be honest, I was in that boat like for a while. You know, I was trying to do like behind the scenes stuff. I was like signing petitions. I would show up to the protests, but I wasn't like speaking at them or like, you know, even really engaged with the organizers or anything. And I was radicalized, man. I was radicalized by watching bombs drop on kids and watching the people who are dropping the bombs talk about, oh, I'm scared on a, a college campus in in the modern era like what are we talking about totally the example to jews that i hope that we like I, I hope to see more direct action being taken and more sort of like open discussion about how our institutions are rotten to their core and unreformable we're at a place now where many of the sort of larger Jewish institutions are this a misnomer and it, they they need to be understood as Zionist institutions as colonial institutions as like racist organizations that need to be defeated. I would love to see Jewish American organizations even like the anti-Zionist ones stop trying to lobby Congress to change. A lot of JVP's resources are being paid to lobby and Lobby you yep. lobbying U.S. Congress when you could be paying to bail out Jewish activists seems foolish to me. It's also a, it's a matter of resources, right? It's stupid to think that you're going to out lobby the Israeli army, right? Are you are you going to out lobby the country of Israel who has multiple lobbies here, spends billions of dollars in oh, Congress, God, and you totally. JVP? You're going you're gonna to waltz into the halls of Congress and be like, hey, I know there's a huge mechanism, like a very well-oiled mechanized machine here at work, but listen to me. It's like, it's kind of right. dumb. It's a, it's a waste of resources. Like, and I think it's also American Muslims for Palestine have a dedicated lobbying force. It's, it's a misunderstanding of 
I mean, I, I think it's one the nature of NGOs, right? Because I think a lot of funders are very comfortable with the idea of lobbying Congress and less comfortable with right. the idea of doing direct action where people get arrested. It's a part of the larger effort of sanitization, right? They've right. sanitized it so much that they're like, oh, I would love to give to a 501c3 that will lobby a congressman who will ultimately never do anything about it, but I'm not going to give to a bail fund that you know a direct action activist got arrested because right. they were strapping themselves to a weapon system. That's not palatable. And I think that's why it's hard. Like it's easier, right, for charges against the Holy Land Five to stick because there weren't tens of thousands of people doing the same thing. If there were tens of thousands of people working to raise uh, like as much money as possible for Gaza, then those five charges would be it would be much harder, right? The more people participating, the harder it is to to do state repression. But I mean. Like, the U.S. government is part of the problem is in Palestine. The U.S. government is the largest market for Israeli weapons. So, I mean, besides India, which is another client of the sort of right-wing populism, you know, of, of the U.S. empire. We're at a place right now where we need to just sort of like, as Americans, recalibrate. We're like, like, change isn't going to come from us lobbying Congress, it's going to be like Congress responding to movements. And the BDS movement is stalling. And we need to be honest about that. And, and, and like we're at the same place we were five years ago in the States. And that's hard to say, but like, like, you know, people were so psyched about Ben and Jerry's, but yeah. I didn't see Ben and Jerry's mention the word boycott, divest, or sanction in that article. But we're still calling this a BDS victory. You are an OG in this game in the direct action anti-Zionist space. I want to just shout you out, hold space for you. You, you know, led, led the way for people like myself to become where I'm at right now. Really quickly, I want to run through some of your highlights. In 2007, you confronted Tony Blair. Can you talk about what happened there? <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I mean, like... Uh, I, this was a time where Tony Blair wasn't the prime minister of the UK. He was the EU like ambassador to Middle East peace, which is one of the most deeply offensive things I've ever heard. Like Tony Blair being an ambassador to Middle East peace is like as offensive as like Exxon Mobil naming one of their tankers like the Cesar Chavez. Like it's. <laughs> It's diabolical, right? Diabolical. Yeah. Anyway, this motherfucker, Tony Blair, Sharmuta, was walking down the street in Nablus, <laughs> in, in Nablus, right? Nablus. Like, with, like, like, with the ghost of a million dead Iraqis following him. And I demanded an apology. And at first it seemed like he couldn't hear me because there was a lot of security. But then he like walked up to me and was like, I'm sorry, I owe you an apology. Because like a very British thing, you know, to be like, oh, wait, there's an there's apology need to be. I'm <laughs> sorry, did you say I, I owe you an apology? And I explained that like his Iraq war role required an apology. And he said he disagreed with me. And then I said, what do you mean you disagree with me? And is at that moment, his security detail physically picked me up and put me into a garbage can. 
um, <laughs> without any commentary that the security guard who put me into the dumpster was a Palestinian Authority security guard. I think a lot about making uh, my own clothes. Dude, uh, you need to. Um, yeah. You need to. You need to. You know why, Max? Because the the first time I met you, I noticed you because you were standing in the middle of like the streets of Cairo with a bomber jacket on that said Palestine on it and a flat brim hat that said Palestine on it. You were like dressed in all custom Palestine gear, which is all stuff that you made. Yeah. I would just say nowadays with the internet where it is, there's no excuse for not saying exactly what you mean. I think there's like a lot of, sort of milk toast uh, respectability politics pro-Palestine gear out there that sort of shoots itself in the foot. If you want to limit yourself, like Palestinians deserve human rights was one I remember from a few years ago, which I definitely agree with. But also, like, I'm not going to fucking put that on a t-shirt. I want, I'm going to say exactly what I mean, because... Dude, I need to, I need to pull your t-shirts out. Hold on, because I got I have one on. I, I got a, I got a bunch of them right now, and I need to I need to show the audience. All right, I'm back. So I've got two of your t-shirts, Max. Which two? So I've got the all Zionists are racist. Every single sure. one. Classic. Classic. I've got it in the long period. Sleeve. Literal yeah. periods. <laughs> and i've got this this one's a little more abstract it, it takes people a little bit longer to understand what's going on here but it's the uh, can you see? oh that's my favorite do you see that michael so so for hold it up for a bit so for our our audio listeners it says santa claus and the tooth fairy and reverse racism and israel's right to exist period yeah yeah you know they, like things that aren't real or things that, that don't exist believe in <laughs> yeah um, i'll take I, imaginary yeah. things for 200 alex right <laughs> but um, that but you know the one that i don't have is probably your best one actually the the viral one the viral one yeah so i may so can i tell the story behind yes this one? Please. Okay. This is like a an annoying and story of like that I think sort of typifies U.S. Zionism, and it's a true story. I was walking in Prospect Park in Brooklyn with the green uh, Palestine Vivra shirt that the French activists had when we met at the Gaza Freedom March. Mm -hmm. Lara, like what, fifteen years ago, more? Yeah. So like they, they all had these shirts, right? That. On the front said Palestine Vivra, and on the back said Boycott Israel. And yes. they had a Carlos Latouf cartoon of a missile being fired at a baby stroller. Um, <laughs> it's like green, and the, the, the text on the back is big and white and sort of unmistakable. And I was walking, enjoying a fine summer day in Brooklyn, and 
some jogger jogged up behind me and cold cocked me in the back of the head <laughs> and um then ran like, like like ran like 40 steps and gave me the finger and then sprinted off and first of all i was wearing like incredibly tight fashionable jeans at the time so there's no way that like i was like dusting myself off and then you're going to be able to chase down this man who is like wearing tactical running gear but he waited until he got 40 steps away from me gave me the finger and then sprinted off and i'll never forget the feeling of being hit in the back of the head for boycott for a, a t-shirt that says boycott israel and like the lesson here and i think it's a theme i want to revisit several times in this podcast is like zionists will attack you no matter what you say if you question their sort of like zionist project in any way so boycotts right the the language of the nonviolent you know what we associate with Martin Luther King, right? The most innocuous thing in the world. They, they will treat you like you are saying bomb Israel, right? So even the language of the nonviolent will be treated with violence. So you might as well say exactly what you mean. On that day, the Israel is a garbage country t-shirts were made. And I didn't mean for this to happen, but I have one on right now. Maybe I can. Should I just take off my shirt and show it? Or should I flash? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Do, so, hey. so the shirt says, okay. Israel's a garbage country that's only loved by garbage people. It was founded on ethnic cleansing, apartheid, and settler colonialism, and its flag is a symbol of white supremacy. That was the craziest mashup of the Star Wars entrance I've ever seen. So one thing that I've been doing as a t-shirt maker recently is trying these out in every color because you yeah. just, like get a screen print and you print them on. So the one that works surprisingly well is blue on white. It like looks like an Israeli flag and it's yeah. like Israel twice in the first two sentences. So people who are like Zionistically inclined, you know, zoom in and then they get really appalled and it's very gratifying. You have to have your head on a swivel, right? Cause yes. they'll, they'll hit, they'll hit you in the back of the head. Um, but at least earn it, right? At least earn it <laughs> by saying exactly what you mean. Um, and I don't think we should in 2021 heading into 2022 i don't think we should mince our words anymore especially us anti-zionist jews who aren't going to be called anti-semites i don't know about you but i get called an anti-semite every day and i'm jewish <laughs> yeah yeah no me too and so uh that's, like, uh, that's why i have uh, a t-shirt that says israel is a garbage country enough of them to wear them every single day if necessary in different colors nice. to still be fashionable um which i think is important if you're representing a movement agreed i think we need to be more militant in our activism and i think we yeah. should start with our t-shirts i don't think we should uh finish there and i want to be very clear about that it would be i don't have like a perfect segue in mind but i would uh the, the real reason i was looking forward to talking to y'all 
about is to give you just sort of like an update on yeah. what we're doing here in London. I've walked with you in the streets of different cities while you wear these shirts. And it is a full-time job to be constantly surveilling your surroundings because it is a fact that you will get attacked. That's true. But you got spit on in Paris. Do you remember? Sure. Sure. But we also, that's true. On the canal and all of a sudden he's like, oh shit, this guy just spit on me. People respond extremely positively to it. Yes. Like the Zionists are far outnumbered to the, like the people who are super enthusiastic when they see a cool t-shirt or a cool hat. The amount of like, I, what I like would sort of characterize as Arab hospitality I encounter from wearing free palette. It's like, um, uh, it's incredible. People like, sometimes it's like hard to pay for lunch or coffee when I'm yeah. out and about when I'm wearing cool clothing like this, because people are just like, wow, I like, like because of my circumstance or the color of my skin or systemic racism and my immigration status, I can't actually wear that t-shirt but i sure can like on the slide give you a free cup of coffee or a donut because like word up i get spat on far more infrequently than i get like cool free shit and like pats on the back so yes that's uh, an excellent that's an excellent point because the same day i make good friends yeah yeah yeah. no no no. i'm waiting my whole life to meet someone when i put this a stranger when I put this t-shirt on, who's like, yo, that's an amazing shirt. It's like, well, I can already tell that you're cool. Yeah. And our person, like our, our safe space. Like some people remember when Trump first got elected and motherfuckers were wearing safety pins. <laughs> no, so but like, okay. you know, there was like, it was a signal, but people would wear <laughs> safety pins to let others know that like, should something racist go down, I am safe space. I am a safety pin. Right. And like, this is better, right? Like, like <laughs> you can sort of like, yes. al- like alert everyone around you exactly to exactly where you stand and let people figure out how they want to like, I yeah. make good friends this way. And you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. Because the same day that you got spat on in Paris, we also met some very cool people um, yeah, at like, a, like they paid for dinner that night. Yes, yeah, at a coffee yeah, shop. Great. And and I ended up becoming really good friends with that girl's sister. And we are now in a book club together because we met her sister on that day that you wore that shirt. They're like some of yeah. my greatest friends. So literally, I yes. Love it. Yeah, that's all thanks to you and that shirt. Yeah, no, I mean, like, there's been some really cool moments with these t-shirts. Like, there's this one, like, Palestinian on Twitter who I really like who uh, accosted Chelsea Clinton while wearing one of my t-shirts brought a tear to my eye. Some people use them as their Tinder profile pics. Just, like, to, like, cut through. Cut the riffraff, yeah. Yeah. Get to the point. Though I do hear that... um, Dating profiles are being Zionized bases. Yes. That's bad. Well, hey, this is a great place to wrap. Well, thank you. It's been a real fun talking to you guys. Max, my brother, yeah. I am so, so, so happy I met you. 
before the world knew who you were in 2009 and that we have remained friends for all these years. And I, you're such an inspiration to me. Thank you so much for everything that you do for Palestine. I, you know, it just, it warms my heart every time, anytime we sit down and, and rehash these stories. And I just can't wait to see what you do next. And everyone go check out Palestine Action, check them out on Instagram, check out their website. You can donate, you know, if you're not interested in putting your body on the line, if you can't afford to do so, like, that's also something like we understand but if you have the financial means, this is a project you really want to support. So get out there. There's a donate button on their Every website. Every dollar you spend on Palestine Action goes directly to more action. Folks, that has been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Go ahead and check out all of our sources at www.palestinepod.com. Follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. And Check out our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Palestine pod. That's been another episode of the Palestine pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. Look at all of us. We're dressed like we're headed to I a was, caper. I was just going to say we all met. <laughs> I went to the Turkish barber in London the first time I got a haircut here. And well. I came away looking like Hitler, like straight up. So now I'm, I've been reluctant to go back to any barber. And that's what you're seeing. The so now you just have the, the grown out Hitler. You don't want like someone left to their own devices coming away looking like Hitler. <laughs> wow. I love it. Truly amazing that we are five minutes in and already three Hitlers. <laughs> are we? Um, this is not. We're going to cut all this, right? <laughs> I don't know, actually. I think we might use this for the Patreon. I, I got lights that I can <laughs> turn on and shit. Watch this. Just maybe, like, get the light so, out of the frame. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't look basically good. Basically a full production studio, you know? Like, <laughs> um, he, said I got, he said I got lights.